Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of My Black is Transnational. My name is Dr. Kalechi Ibe Lamberts, and I'll be hosting the show. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at blacktransnational underscore. Um, I'm not on Twitter yet. Uh, I used to tweet back in my days, but I've become a little weak on that, but I'll have to get back on that soon. Um, you can also email me at kalechi.lamberts at gmail.com. Um, I'll probably be making one account strictly for the podcast um, as we continue to grow. Um, right now, it's just me and you. Uh, but thank you all again for listening. You can find this podcast on any platform, on Apple Podcasts, Google. Please make sure to subscribe, review, rate. Your feedback is definitely important. Um, we're also, you know, I'm recording this on anchor.fm. So if you are on Anchor or have the Anchor app, please make sure to leave a voicemail if you have any thoughts regarding any of the things that I share with you on this episode. Um, if you agree, if you disagree, if you want to know a little bit more, if you have some questions that you want me to answer, please feel free to share that. And I'll make sure that I can address it on the air or I can even address it to you personally. I'll send you a message back. And we could talk a little bit more about what that looks like or whatever concept or whatever question you may have answered. And we can have a nice little discussion. So this podcast is strictly based on trying to engage and not only just share my interest and my passion with you all, but I want to be able to engage in conversations. I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't, it's not easy. It feels a little weird sometimes when you're hosting or recording a show by yourself, I'm normally used to doing some type of recording with someone and having some type of interaction. So I'm definitely looking for some type of engagement and feedback throughout the course of this journey. All right. But today we'll be talking about what transnationalism really is and we'll be defining that concept. So it's um, it's going to be about that. We're going to talk about how we can uh, apply this concept of transnationalism, what the history of it is how it's looked like across different racial ethnic group, but we're finally then going to wrap it up on what it means as far as blackness. The title of this show is called My Black is Transnational, Black People Come First, and we'll really go into detail about what it looks like in the black population and why it's important that we continue to understand this concept and what it could potentially mean as far as reconnecting or even just creating a closer relationship between all black people in the population here in the U.S. and even across the globe. So today, what is transnationalism? Transnationalism, from an academic standpoint, would be defined as a trans migrant's daily activity, daily, that person's daily connection to their native homeland, whether it is economically, whether it is socially, whether it's financially, but their connection to multiple, multiple nations. Um, in various ways, right? So that means that, you know, you may be born in one country, but you've traveled to another country, you resettled there, and now you have strong ties, you've been involved, you've somewhat acculturated to the, to the, to the ways of that particular land. And now you're just, you know, you're part of that nation, but you're also very much so connected to your native homeland, and you're very much involved in, in the affairs that are going on there. And you now have this dual identity of sorts, and you're connected to it in multiple ways. But most of the time when we talk about it academically, it seems to be very much so about trans migrants and work, right? And now I can't go any further without explaining to you all that 
the concept of transnationalism, this isn't something that's super new. So although, you know, I'm very, I'm always very excited and I always kind of introduce it as this like brand new thing, but it's really not. The, this concept has been there for a very, very long time and it became more of a wave in the 90s. I believe it goes back maybe even a little further, but most of the time the, the first clamoring of it began in around 1994. A lot of anthropologists and even um, sociologists really were talking about this concept. So we had anthropologists such as um, Nina Glick, Dr. Nina Glick Schiller, uh, Dr. Um, Alejandro Portez, Dr. Stephen Vertovac. I mean, these were all some of the um, the charter members or the founding fathers as far as ac academically goes. When it comes to some of the literature you'll see out there that talks about transnationalism, you'll see those names. You'll see Schiller, you see Glick Schiller, you'll see Vertovac, you'll see Portez. They've done a lot of work when it comes to transnationalism. And then you'll see that it started to transition into the um, Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx population. You'll see um, Virulas Fuentes and you'll see... Um, You'll see some other uh, researchers that are starting to pick up on that concept, but they never, ever really talked about transnationalism in regards to health. And essentially, that's where you see names like Ibe Lamberts and Ilunga Sishwaka, and you start seeing we kind of come into that conversation uh, in regards to transnationalism and health. And also, shout out to my mentor, Dr. Linda Sprague Martinez, who does a lot of transnationalism work in the Brazilian population as well. So there are a lot of people who talk about the concept of transnationalism academically, maybe not a huge clamoring like other um, other subjects, but it is something that's very relevant. I'm not the only one that's kind of leading this charge. Now, as far as just in layman's terms, transnationalism is essentially a dual citizenship, right? So like I said, this this podcast isn't focused on trying to get into this whole lecture PowerPoint type of style presentation. I'm here to talk real talk. And essentially, you're a dual citizen. And some of you all may have had these experiences where you, whether you personally or your family member, your parents, you find, you grow up, um, you know, you've come into this new land and you, you're, you're very much so involved in the affairs of it. And you, you've tried to adjust, you understand how to navigate your way through, you know, this new land, especially in this case, the United States. You're, you've come to the United States and you are very much so involved and you, you, you got a job, you got, you got a home, you got, you going to school and you know how to interact, you know, you, you worked your way into knowing how to navigate, but you still have a lot of family members back home. You remember if you are a first generation, you remember, you know, what your experiences are like being there. You still have your cousins, your friends, your, you know, your mother, if not grandmother, extended family, you still have them very much so involved in your life. You're connecting through them through WhatsApp. You're using Viber, you're traveling, you're on Facebook all the time, right? These are ways of staying connected, right? So um, now I don't want you all to confuse transnationalism with biculturalism, which is another topic for another episode that we'll talk about. But biculturalism is another context of where you have this dual cultural practices. And transnationalism doesn't just simply apply to your culture. It applies to other ways in which you engage in your daily life. So we talked about how it can work financially, right? Um, not just you sending money to your native home, like what we call remittances. You're sending, you're sending things back home frequently, and you're also receiving things, right? So that's like when you go, you have a family member who's coming to visit uh, from, you know, for those who may be from Africa, 
you may have family members who are coming in to visit you maybe to spend the summer or to come and spend a couple weeks and they bring goody goodies from that native homeland right they bring goody goodies from nigeria from ghana from ethiopia wherever you're from they bring these goody goodies and you 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 take them and you, it, it reminds you of home and you enjoy it but also when you're leaving you start to send you give them stuff right you give them stuff that's american and you essentially they take that home with them and they and they utilize it right it's almost like an importation exportation type of thing right so they bring in goods from home they export goods from the united states and it's just there's this exchange that's actually happening so sometimes even if you're growing up if you're a second generation and you're growing up and you have aunties and uncles right and family members who come from the from the old land and they bring stuff and you're just like oh this is from you know this is from poland or this is from greece or this is from spain this is from mexico right they bring in all these things and you're just like wow like and then you see that they most of the time when we have family members who come to visit from overseas we always have to take them to shop right <laughs> you always got to take them to the mall take them somewhere where they can get something most of the time something for the low if they're not balling out but you, you go shopping you always carry multiple luggages i've never seen a transnational family come and go and travel without having multiple luggages and most of the time it's one luggage is for you personally personally and personal items and the other items are always for friends family and for people who may have requests so you're essentially uh, uh um <laughs> you're essentially carrying cargo right and uh you are delivering goods to family members who didn't have the opportunity to travel and we utilize this as a way to kind of you know bring in things sometimes we don't even know the person but you may have situations where you say well i have a friend of a friend who's traveling to nigeria in a couple of weeks and you will say hey please can you tell them to go reach out to this person and so that's a way to kind of use that service as a as that courier service it's an informal courier service that's happening right so i know some of us have grown up with that experience but all these things are part of the transnational um the transnational identity, but also certain ways, other things that we do. So I know that maybe some of us have grown up in what we call hometown associations or organizations that are related to what related to your culture. So for example, I had a conversation with a friend who's from from Greece, whose family is from Greece, and they and and um, they have you know Greek schools, and they're very much so connected to the church, where they bring you up in in the Greek culture. They make sure you understand the language. They make sure that you know how to um, engage and interact properly according to the Greek culture or be involved in the Greek church and um, the Greek Orthodox um, Catholic practices. So in, 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 in the African culture, we have these hometown associations, whether it's, you know, the Ghana, Ghana Association or the um, Igbo Association or the, or the Lagosians Association. We always have these, or even a Nigerian Association to bring everyone together. But we always have these, these hometown organizations that are maybe related on our country, whether it's our ethnicity, if we're talking about subcultures. But these organizations exist in order to help us sustain and foster the things that we continue to do if we were in the native homeland. So a lot of us, if you're second generation, you grow up seeing all these things that are Nigerian related and you may not even understand it, but your parents make you go to these places. Sometimes it's even a church. It may not also just be an organization. It may be a church that your parents go to and you see so many Nigerians congregate there and they have these conversations and they have these practices. We do Nigerian parties or Ghanaian parties or those types of parties and events that are strictly like you're back in the native homeland and they're all related to that. These are examples of how we as immigrants sustain 
our culture through transnational practices. So we make sure that we don't lose our culture because one of the biggest fears that I know growing up, one of the biggest fears that was shared with me was that, look, you can't lose your culture. Don't get lost in America. You're not American. You are Nigerian. You are, you know, you're African. So the biggest fear that a lot of immigrants have when they come in is to not fully acculturate, not fully lose your cultural identity and give in. Now, some people do, and, and, and I can define that as well, right? When we talk about the different levels of immigration and why people migrate, right? But in most cases, when we talk about just transnational identity, it has to be around that whole concept of con staying connected, right? So if you're not connected, you're not transnational in this case. But because we have, we understand that refugees come in and there's a different requirement for what it is to be a refugee, right? And you're, you're most of the time you're seeking asylum. You, there's certain codes and laws that, that protect refugees when they travel because they can't go home, right? And then we have our, what I define as our classical immigrants or your standard, your typical immigrant who just comes to the new land in pursuit of a better life. That person is like, look, Whatever's going on back at the crib, I don't want that, right? Like, I'm done. Things are tough back there. I'm in a new, a new land. I'm in my new space. I got my new bag, and I'm trying to secure it. And now I'm trying to just move on. I don't want nothing to do. A lot of people, I mean, it's similar to people who move out the hood, and they don't want to go back to the hood, right? If they go back, it's, it's, it's for emergency purposes. They're just passing by. Right? It's the same concept. You're going and you don't want nothing to do with where you just left. You're, you're moving on, you're establishing a new life, and you're going on. And then the transnational immigrants are the ones who come in, and they're like, yeah, I'm here, but in the back of my mind, I got so much stuff going on back at the crib. I have to take care of my moms. I got a Western Union, some money. I got to you know, stay connected. I got to figure out what's going on with my cousin. My my brother's calling me via WhatsApp or via I um, FaceTime audio. So I'm involved. I'm having conversations about what's going on in my native homeland on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, all my friends are back in the native homeland. I don't really even have that many friends here because all my peoples are back in my home country and I'm just here to work to make sure that I got enough money to send back. I got enough money to make sure that the rest of my family members can can migrate and come join me if I'm, you know, working by myself or if I brought the whole family and now I'm trying to work to make sure that my kids are going to school or um, that I'm going to school to make sure that I'm getting the education and pursuing my um, pursuing affluence. Most immigrants that are transnational, most immigrants in general are coming in to work or just to better their situation. So if you're coming in to go to school, you're coming in to achieve some type of professional um, goal. If you're coming into work, you're trying to make sure that you are achieving enough financially to be able to establish yourself and be able to grow. Um, and if you're transnational in this regard, you may have a business back home. I know a lot of people who are, you know, musicians who are, um, who may invest in property, who may be having consulting gigs, who go back and forth. They travel to Nigeria, they travel to Ghana, they travel across to their native homeland, and they, they have business that they invest their money in and they translate their dollars into whatever the native currency is in order to make sure that their business continues to grow. So these can, and, and, and I haven't even talked about what it means from a political standpoint, right? As far as how being transnational, you still are very much so involved in what political decisions and what um, agendas are present in your native homeland and how that may affect you and your family. 
you're truly never removed from what's going on, right? So I always tell people an example when it comes to um, a hometown association or what it comes to a transnational, um, what a transnational community looks like would be, let's say we're all from, you know, we're all from Chicago. I'm going to say Chicago because that's where I grew up at. We're all from Chicago and we all moved to, we all moved to Australia, right? And we're in Australia and we're all, you know, we're always coming together to do Chicago things. We're coming together to eat Harold's chicken. I don't know if somebody may have came to come visit and they brought some Harold's chicken with some mild sauce, right? And the fries, and we're eating that in Australia. We're watching Chicago Bulls games. We're listening to Chicago music, right? We're eating Chicago pizza, all in Australia. We're sending money to our family members back in Chicago to make sure that things are going well, right? If you went to the University of Illinois in Chicago, you're donating money to make sure that the school is growing or whatever. But you're still connected to Chicago, even though you're in Australia. And you have to do things that are related to Australia and culture and Australian, um, the status quo there in that society. But you're, you're preoccupied mentally, physically um, into that particular land that you've left. Right. And you go visit Chicago when you have the opportunity. Maybe every Christmas you go visit the city. Right. And you, you know, spend a couple of weeks there to make sure that you are you have reconnected with your family members and you're using WhatsApp and all these things. Right. So and all these devices that are that are present in order to make sure that you are still ident- culturally based on cultural identity. You're still that Chicagoan, even though you are also Australian. Right. So that's exa- that's that would be an a, an example of what that would look like. Now, imagine what that looks like for a lot of people now who may be listening to this podcast. You you may be Nigerian. You may be from Jamaica. You may be from 80. You may be from, you know, your family may be from Poland. You may be from, you know, from Europe, from from Mexico, from Puerto Rico. You may be from all these other spaces. I don't even know Puerto Rico, really. I don't know if Puerto Rico really counts because of the colonization, but that's another story. But you may be from another country and you come in and you know that you have to you don't want to lose your identity your family members have told you who you are even if you're second generation your family members have told you that look you are not just american you are more than this and i brought you up in this particular culture to let you know that you ain't american you're not just no black american you are you know you're nigerian you're haitian you're greek you're you know you're 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 polish you're spanish right this is who you are no matter what, and go, hey, pick up the phone, go talk to your auntie, or go talk to your cousins who are back in the motherland, and you have to have these conversations, right, and you stay connected, so you're groomed, whether you're first 1.5 or, or, or second generation, you are groomed to learn how to be affiliated, to be connected to this particular land that you may or may not be familiar with, so what does that do, right, what does that do as far as our, our social connections, what does that do as far as what, what really takes priority in our lives? And these are things that you have to think about that being an immigrant can be very complex um, and it can be a very, very interesting dynamic. And it doesn't just apply to, even though the, the, um, it doesn't apply to just people who are American, but people across the world. And like I mentioned before in the, in the trailer episode, that you can be very much so transnational and it doesn't always have to be limited to two. It can't be always limited to just two countries. I mean, obviously, you have to be more than one, but you can be connected to multiple countries. If you are someone that has had many experiences, I have a good colleague that I want to have on this show 
um, maybe down the line. But I have a good colleague who traveled across the world and, and has experienced many cultures and, and, and chooses to stay connected to multiple of them, right? Or you have some people who've gone on to do Peace Corps or, you know, Doctors Without Border or did some type of missions trip and they they really love the country that they were part of and they spent two, three years there and they become very much so acculturated in that. So now that they've gone back, um, they've gone back to America, gone back to wherever they're originally from, they now still stay involved in the culture. They travel very often. I have a brother, a good brother, um, and I'm going to shout his name out, Dr. Bryce Henson, who uh, does a lot of work in Brazil, right, and is very much so connected to the Brazilian culture, and he, you know, he speaks Portuguese, he, um, he goes there when he can, even though to do research or just to visit, he has friends, he's, he understands the black culture there in Brazil. I mean, that man is essentially a transnational in his own right, right, because he chooses to stay connected, and that's the most important thing to understand is that being transnational is a choice. Is not something that you're initially born to do because you can choose to stay connected or not, and that's essentially what separates a transnational from just your standard immigrant, right? It's because that, that standard immigrant can always choose to be connected back to the native homeland if it's if the opportunity presents itself. So if you're if you if you say, hey look, you know what, I want to get back connected to my land, I want to be able to establish that relationship again with this particular country. Uh, I want to do that and you can do that if you have the, the means and the resources and, and the people there who want to be connected with you as well. So it's a choice. And um, it, it can be very complex, but that's essentially what transnationalism is, as far as just a loose definition of it. And so it's, it's not very complex, but it's something that we've been doing for a long time. I mean, like I said, historically, it's something that hasn't, it's not new, right? Um, the, if we go back to even the British uh, colonizing the United States, right? And just that frequent travel, when even the Industrial Revolution, when People came in to work, but they sent letters, they sent money to their family members in, in Europe and other countries. They were very much so involved. So it's not, this isn't anything that new that we're doing, but what I want you all to understand is that in my perspective, it's about health, right? And it's about health and also um, community building and what that does, knowing that we are becoming more of a global community. We're becoming very much so involved in each other's lives on a global level. So we need to understand that we now have the access to be able to go back and forth if we choose to, and that helps construct the way we see the world. Once you have those who become more global, who are becoming more open-minded to, to, um, to the world globally, it can be very interesting. So we'll take a break real quick, and we'll talk a little bit more about what transnationalism is in regards to blackness, because the whole show is called My Black is Transnational, and black people come first. All right, so regarding transnationalism and, and, and black, the black population, first and foremost, I think it's important to understand how the population is constructed. So when we talk about the black population in America, we have to understand that there's two important major groups. We have our native African-Americans, or for the sake of this, my talk, for the sake of my research, I always define this particular group as the native African-Americans, and I'll explain why. And then we also have our black immigrants, right? Not just African immigrants, but we can also talk about the Caribbeans um, and people from other black people from other parts of the world because black people are all over the world, right? So that we just, we just call them the black immigrant population. And historically speaking, the native African Americans and 
all of us were all immigrants. Anyone here in the United States outside of the Native Americans or the American Indians, as they prefer to be called, for what I was told, they all, we are all immigrants, right? So black, Native African Americans are the descendants of forced immigrants, forced immigrants. They were stripped away from their homeland and were carried and brought to the United States to be subjected to slavery and various types of heinous, egregious things that have happened to them, stripped of their culture, stripped of their identity, and were told to start from scratch. And this particular population has built America on their backs, um, their, their, their blood, sweat, and tears, and also constructed a rich culture um, that is loved by everyone, even though people try to shun it off and pretend like it's not. But people consume black culture here in America like none other, even strong, better than Starbucks coffee. They just, people consume black culture like, like it's nothing. And, and they just, they stun on it, right? But that's something that was constructed by people who had no idea what was going on and historically were, were, were subjected to oppression and ostracization and just so many things. And, and they've become the, the, the dominant black population in America. And then we have our black immigrants who, in this case, I'll say essentially arrived in the United States post-1965 after the, um, the Hart Seller Act and, and, and that was an act that, that was a pan-African movement, uh, part of the civil rights movement that uh, affected immigration and allowed for immigrants to be able to come in and, and, and start pursuing a better life and, and, and um, better life professionally, better life in all aspects. And, but the, the most important thing is that these, these particular people chose to come to the United States, right? They, they chose to be able to, to make to, to be able to make the trip and, 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 and chose America as a destination for resettlement. Now, this doesn't always apply to all cases. There's some people who don't have a choice, um, and that's a different conversation as far as maybe you're looking for the next closest land that can be able to provide asylum and things of that nature. But in most cases, we're talking about a voluntary immigrants. Voluntary. They chose to come to this land, and they chose to stay connected, right? And then we have our transnational black immigrants who choose to stay connected, but also choose to travel to this new land and, and, and sustain these ties and sustain their identity some way, some forth, and sustain their involvement in their native homeland. So collectively, the black population is very diverse, but research tends to group us all in one. They tend to assume that there's a one-size-fit-all because we share the same skin color, because in most cases we live in the same spaces, and if we don't open our mouths, they don't really know who we are. Now, within the population, interracially, I think it's so it's always... It's always astonishing how we, even me as an African, we can like, I can tell the difference between those who are from, from here and those who are not. In most cases, not all the time, but in most cases, an African can tell another African compared to an African-American and vice versa. And it's not always just by clothes. Um, it's not always just by, you know, their names. But sometimes you can just look at someone and be like, yo, this person's an African. Like, I know. And then you go and say something, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, what's your name? My name is Soji. Like, wow. Like, bro, I didn't even know. Like, well, I did know, right? So you, you pretend. So, but overall, that, 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 that ability to be able to sep distinguish one from another is not something that researchers or even people in the government or people um, who are not part of that population may understand. 
and um, the history of the the black population, the, the, especially with the history of the Native um, African Americans, makes this this particular um, concept of transnationalism and blackness very important to me, um, because most of the immigrants who come to the United States came voluntarily. This is, especially for black populace in the United States, this is one of the groups that has a subpopulation that was stripped and forced to migrate to the United States. They didn't have a choice historically. So being able to reconnect to a homeland, to Africa or wherever, is very, very difficult because they didn't know initially, originally where they're from. So it becomes a challenge where most people who are European or Mexican or, or Hispanic, I should say, um, they tend, or Brazilian, they tend to know where they're from historically and they can trace themselves, their genealogy, they can trace themselves to a particular land, a nation. But <clears throat> our brothers and sisters here in the United States can't. They've been, you know, they, they, they've been, they, they're our lost brothers and sisters to some degree. And a lot of them are making significant strides as far as being able to find a way to trace their, their, their roots and know their roots back to Africa and connect it some way, somehow. So, or even the diaspora as well to the islands, right? So we have a lot of brothers and sisters who are from the islands who know where they're from, right? Who, who, um, who also I put in the same category as African immigrants because, uh, and the Caribbean immigrants because they, they have those, there's certain similar features and similar ways in which we engage transnationally or just even as an immigrant population collectively. But now when we talk about the, 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 the black population and why it's important for us to know each other is because there's a lot of tension in our population. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of separation in, in between the native African Americans and our African immigrants. A lot of African immigrants come in with their own culture, with their own ideals, with their own, um, with their own identity already constructed. And they come in with a preconceived notion of what the native African Americans are like. And therefore, research some research shows that there is this perception that if i associate myself with an african american then that makes my assimilation or my acculturation process go negatively it moves backwards and i'm not coming in pursuing that goal that if i co collectively associate myself with this particular black group then i'm moving the step backwards instead of moving forward which obviously I think is ridiculous, right? And I think that adds to a lot of the divide that exists in our population because you have a lot of African-Americans who look at Africans as, you know, whatever you may look at. There's, there are lots of stereotypes in which, you know, African immigrants are perceived. And that creates a lot of divide as far as the black population. We're not, we're not collectively together. We're not, uh, we don't understand each other culturally all the way. And sometimes I, I think that, you know, we have our African immigrants who come in and we take advantage of what's here, but we truly don't even take the time to respect the history of the African-Americans and what they went through in order to be who they are here, to be the strong um, group, to be the strong population that they are, to be that strong community that they are now. Um, we don't take into account the institutionalized racism, the institutionalized oppression that's in place. Um, even though we see it now um, visually in, in, in a lot of these killings and 
a lot of these things that are happening now in our world today. I think historically, a lot of our, um, a lot of first generations or a lot of those who who um, came in in the 60s, 70s may not really truly see what's happening. Or even those who come in in the late 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, sometimes you don't understand what's really going on in the black population because all you see are black people in America and you see America and you're like, America is a land of opportunity, right? And these people have been here all along, so why are they, they not taking advantage of their opportunity? And you don't, you really don't see what's going on beneath the surface. Um, and I think on the other side of the spectrum, I think a lot of African-Americans look at African immigrants as those who are taking advantage of what's really theirs. And they come in and Africans feel, they believe that Africans carry themselves like they're better than African-Americans. And there's this this whole this whole beef that goes on. And I, and I think that once we are able to uh, understand that we can become connected, we can become that African Americans can become transnationals. Uh, I think that would be a step forward as far as bridging the gap. I think how do we connect? It's I don't. And I, it's not mandatory. I don't want people to think that it's mandatory that all African Americans must stay must connect to Africa. It's not by force, you know. But I do think that a gap needs to be bridged um, between both populations, right? So, in 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 retrospect, a lot of African immigrants who are transnational don't worry about issues that are African-American related. They don't really worry about racism. You're not really worried about oppression. Um, you're not really worried about all the things that are systematically in place. I mean, most immigrants that are transnational, you're really more worried about what's going on with your direct, immediate family here. You're worried about if you have kids, you're worried about you know making sure that your kids don't lose the culture. You're worried about making sure that you have um, enough the finances to be able to provide for your kids or your family, um, not just here but also overseas, right? So you're you're all you're, you're more worried about the the, the the typical immigrant issues. You're, you're worried about acculturation. You're worried about your socioeconomic status. You're worried about your pursuit of affluence and making sure that your settlement process is going smoothly and it's secure, right? And that you have enough resources to be able to travel back and forth. Right, you're worried about what's going on back in your native homeland. If you're very much so invested in the political affairs, or you have a business there, or you have things that are going on, you you are traveling there. You know, every six, you're traveling there. You're spending three weeks there. It's like it's not even a vacation per se, but you're it's business, right? Some people are traveling there, and 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 you're handling things, but you're not worried about what's going on in America because America is not something you can always leave, right? So that most people always feel like you can always just you can take a break, you can leave out and go. And there's some people who can't do that. There's some people who can't just up and and get a ticket and be gone for two three weeks in another country and then and, and then focus on that right so it can be you know a lot of trans black transnationals don't really worry about the issues now the second generation of black transnationals may because their offsprings are now brought up in the american environment even though as a second generation, you've been told all your life that you are not this, you're that. You're not American, you are, you know, Nigerian. And you, in this household, you are Nigerian, right? So I know a lot of, I had a good, I have a good friend who, whose parents um, very close with, and she'll tell me, she's like, look, when my kids go outside, when they go outside this house, they can be American. But when they come in, they're in Nigeria. So, and I always listen, I always laugh about it because it's true. And her kids grew up and they very much so identify as Nigerians and they're, 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 they're acculturated to a country that some of them didn't even get to travel to, right? There are kids in this world, like, and they're black 
transnational second generation kids who are brought up in America who have accents, who have Nigerian accents that are stronger than the one that I've, I've kind of lost, right? I have to come and I have to try very hard to sustain my Nigerian accent, but it's not my default accent anymore because of how long I've been in America and how long I've been, but I can always code switch and I can always go back and forth and navigate. But there are lots of kids who grew up second generation who were born in America, who've been brought up in a Nigerian household, who have a very, very strong Nigerian accent, who very, very strong Ghanaian accent, very, very strong, you know, Hispanic, Latino, no, you know, Spanish accent, very, very strong French accent. There are lots of kids who grow up very, very strong in their Polish, in their, in their, in their Irish accent. And you'd be so shocked. And you're like, wait, were you born in the, in the old land? And you're like, no, but your parents have strict, you know, strong, rigid values and brought you up in the way that they were brought up and tried their very much, their very best to simulate an environment that's very similar to the homeland. So therefore you grew up in an environment that's very similar to a country that you have no idea about. And this is what I call reverse acculturation. And that happens a lot to second generation transnationals. And you, and you are then influenced to build this bridge. You're influenced to now stay connected to that homeland. So, you know, in Christmas time, over your Christmas break, you're going to travel to your homeland and spend, you know, a couple of weeks and you're going to get accustomed. And by the time you get older, this becomes part of you. You have become part of that land, and now you're no longer just American. You don't, you don't see yourself simply as American. You see yourself as, you know, this American. You see yourself as Nigerian-American. You see yourself as um, Hispanic-American or, or Mexican-American or, you know, uh, Colombian-American or, you know, J Japanese-American. You see yourself as this American, but not just strictly American anymore because you are of both nations and you've been brought up to, be to believe that and, 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 and to live that on a daily basis, right? So, um, but being black complicates things because to everyone else they see black they don't care about our connections <laughs> don't nobody give a fuck about how you know how much we are connected to our native homeland it's only us right we're the only ones that really are involved and how that affects us from a social standpoint um how we connect with each other um plays a role because when you feel like you are connected to your um, to your homeland and you have friends and family that you can stay socially, socially connected to via your various social networks, you don't feel the need to have to establish any type of community. Um, if I came in as a, I'm a 1.5 generation, that means that I came in, you know, at a young age, I came in to the United States around when I was like seven, eight years old, and I wasn't fully developed mentally and even physically. So I have some past experiences in Nigeria, but I don't have full experiences. So I'm in between, I'm a tweener. But if I came in first generation and I was like 20 years old already and I already knew I have tons of experiences and my upbringing was in Nigeria and now I'm definitely getting connected to America. And if I came in like two months ago and I have so many friends and family members who are in Nigeria in 2018, I don't need no new friends in America. I don't really. I mean, all I have to do is come in and find where my other Nigerians are at or my other West Africans are at. And now I just have to figure out, okay, well, how do I get plugged into America? And I know that there are tons of Nigerians who are here who know the way, and I just have to stay, stay with them. I don't need any African-American friends. Like, why? For what? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's essentially how it's pursued, or I should say perceived, and that's what adds to the divide. That's what perpetuates it. So sometimes we don't even know each other very well because we can all live 
you know, on the south side or in the places where all black people are and we just slowly just keep our heads down, we mind our business, we do our thing, and we live our lives. Now, one of the things that we'll talk about moving forward is the challenges that it is for black people or African immigrants who speak French, right? And I'll have one of my close friends who's been my partner in research, um, Dr. Dade Ilungashiswaka, come and talk about those challenges for black transnationals from French-speaking countries. And I have to acknowledge my biases, and my, to some degree, I have to recognize my privilege being from a country that's Anglophonic or English-speaking, because a lot of West Africans, from those who are Nigerians and, and Ghanaians and, and from even Somali, um, places where they were colonized by English-speaking countries, a lot of them sometimes have it much easier when it comes to acculturating, because you can just come in and speak English. Yeah, you may have an accent. Yeah, you may not be able to understand some of the slangs and the phrases, but you know you understand English. Therefore, you have an advantage compared to someone who is from Congo or someone who is from Cameroon who speaks French as their primary language. And because of that, that particular transnational group, you have to rely on your social enclaves, you have to truly rely on your hometown associations, not just to help get adjusted, but also how to learn English. So that's one more challenge that you have to face now when it comes to being black in America, right? Having that skin color, but then also having this divide that exists between people that look like you, but then now you don't even speak like them because you don't speak English. So now everybody's looking at you funny. There's so many challenges that exist within people um, within that particular group and I won't expound on it today but I want to make sure that I have someone who actually has that experience share his experience about what it was like you know acculturating to the United States um, and you know achieving his goals and trying to establish a better life for himself in America so yeah I mean you know being black I mean now for the African Americans I think you know, I, I'm also very interested on in those who really want to go out and, and stay connected to, or at least establish a connection with Africa. Um, I have a really, really good colleague of mine who was born in America uh, and found a way to establish a relationship with Africa or establish a relationship with the islands. And, you know, he... And his life and his and his perspective essentially changed, and I and I want to have him come and talk about it. But I do think that um, one of the things I've always been a proponent of is trying to get Native African Americans connected to another country, because sometimes I believe that we're more than just being black here. I think there's more to life than just being black in America, um, especially when you you've been stripped historically from a country. I think it's important to know who you are, know your roots, at least. And if you don't know your roots or you don't know exactly, then, then create it again, like create a relationship with a new land as in an African country, a country that looks just like, that has people that looks just like you, right? And, and get reconnected. And I do think that it changes how we see the world. Um, and I think sometimes there might be some trepidation, there might be some fear among my brothers and sisters, my black brothers and sisters, when it comes to branching out and, 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 and getting connected to 
a new country, a new nation, and having no idea. And I can understand that. I know there's some challenges that I may not be fully addressing, and maybe we might address it as we continue to talk. But one of the things that I do know is that being transnational is not just about coming to America or going to from developing nation to first world country. I don't believe that's the case. It's a it's a two-way street. It's a bridge that's created and in the bridge you can go back and forth. And what I do I I I what I do is encourage people even if it's, you know, a, a new land that you may not have any uh, genetic genetic ties to. I know a lot of people who get connected to Jamaica and you travel there and you become part with the Jamaican culture and you now are, you know, very much involved in the affairs that are going on in Jamaica. Um, and now you, you, you travel there frequently, you, be, you, you understand the language, you eat the food, you, you, you enjoy the music, and you, it's become part of you, right? And I think it, it, it makes your blackness beautiful. It makes your blackness beautiful and versatile. So why not do that more often? Why limit yourself to just, to just this when you have a human right a birthright um, to be able to know exactly where you're from. And if not, to you have the right to be a global citizen. So I encourage my black brothers and sisters to always stay connected, to, to establish connections across the globe, because it makes us a better community. It heals the hurt one way or the other to know that there are other parts of the world who actually want you. Um, there are other people other nations who value what you have to bring um, to them. I think sometimes being in America as long as I've been here, I think sometimes I see as a black man that they're, 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 the value of what we bring to the table is not always there. They don't always value what we bring and what we share, but I know that there are other places across the world. There are other, there are other nations, there are other African nations, uh, other countries in the, in the islands that want what you have to offer, that value you, value your culture, value your, your experiences, and want to be part of that and want to consume that. And I think that can help as far as even bridging that divide between, you know, black immigrants and transnational, I mean, uh, and um, African Americans, because I think once we're able to understand each other's culture, once we're able to reestablish ourselves and understand that, you know, this, this is what experiences, our experiences are like, I think it makes for a more institutionalized black community. And I, my biggest goal, my biggest vision for the black community is that we need to, in order to truly defeat the institutional racism, the institutional, the systematic things that are in place, we as black people need to become a system. We have to evolve and become an institution. And what makes an institution is its ability to be connected, its ability to not just be local but global. And once we're able to get to that point, once we're able to start talking about the versatility of blackness, because being black, like I said, there's so you can be, you know, um, Afro Latino, you can be black and Brazilian, you can be, you know, black and German, you can be black and all these things, and we're all over the world. But we need to start getting connected. We need to start branching out and and, be, and I believe obviously my biases is that we need to become more transnational so I mean why not so before I forget I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that another important reason why it's, why why black transnationals matter um why I talk about this so um effusively is because black people are 
growing. The black population is growing tremendously. Research shows that the African immigrant population alone, I'm not even including all black immigrants, um, have increased tremendously over 100% from the year 2000, 2010. And we're almost in 2020. And I'm not, and if we take into account all the other black immigrant groups that are from the islands and the other parts of the diaspora, the black population is increasing significantly. And I mean, yeah, if you want to talk about stats, you can see that um, the Latino, Latina, Latinx population is still leading. If we're, it's not a race, obviously, but if we are talking about leading numbers, um, that population group is on pace to be the largest racial ethnic population in the United States by the year 2050. But overall, as far as the black population and its dynamic goes, black people, um, the black population is growing tremendously. And, and when we talk about transnationalism, it's not just strictly about that immigrant identity. Yeah, that's part of it, but it's also about these connections, right? So you can be born in America, but you can be a transnational. So if we're talking about the transnational population growth, that's going to be increasing tremendously as well. Because second generation, third generation, um, you know, new transnationals can be born based off the connections, the relationship, getting married or just or just choosing to get connected to a new land. Um, and black people doing that at a higher rate will change the dynamic of the black population and its growth. So, I mean, the black transnational, the black population, it's 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 on pace for a significant growth. And transnationalism is complex. I understand that. But so is the black population and we need to be heard we need to know and, and for those who are outsiders that don't know i mean this is why you're here right this is what this is what we're doing it for you can't put us in a box we're diverse there's so much to being black that you don't know and if you don't take the time to decipher things then we'll always continue this cycle of ignorance yeah so Man, it's been fun. This is the first episode of my Black is Transnational, and I hope you all enjoy the content. Um, follow me on Black Transnational underscore. That's on Instagram. Not on Twitter yet. You can email me, kalechi.lambers at gmail.com. Uh, or, you know, if you're listening on the Anchor app, please feel free to leave some feedback. I'm always here to listen. But once again, just want to thank you all. Thank everybody who supported me in this. There's many more to come. And if you didn't like this first episode, I understand. But please stick with me. I'm growing. I'm going. I'll be better. I promise you. That's a guarantee. So, but vibe with me. And, you know, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. And my black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.